Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that will draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short-sleeve, moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. Basically, you know, having this prognosis of, well, I don't know how long this is, this medication is going to work for because we don't, we still don't know how long it'll work. It hasn't been around for that long. So it was like, I'm moving to Orlando, going to wakeboard, don't know what's going to happen after that, but that's just what I'm going to do. And um, when you're kind of the cancer girl, people can't really say no to you. (laughs) So (laughs) that's where I kind of just told everyone what I was going to (laughs) do. I'm Alexa Score, and this is the Tom Rowland Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast today. We've got a fantastic guest for you. I was introduced to Alexa Score, and she is a very interesting young lady. Um, one of the things that caught my eye about her right away is that she's from Minnesota and she's a professional wakeboarder. I wondered how those two things came together and looked into her story more. And she is way more than either one of those. She's a cancer survivor and that has had a big impact on her life and, uh, she's still dealing with it today. So we're going to get to ask her all of these questions that I have about, um, becoming a professional wakeboarder and also, how she is using that uh, to transcend wakeboarding and go into television broadcasting. So without any further delay, Alexa score. All right, we have Alexa. Alexa, how are you today? Doing very well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's uh, it's cool. approaching fall, and I know that you're in Minnesota, and fall means something different than a Floridian or even uh, somewhere in the middle of the country. But if fall seems like it would be kind of a, a fleeting moment in time in Minnesota. Totally. It's a quick transition, or it has been this year, from summer, 80-degree days, straight into 40-degree weather. So everyone's busting out all their fall gear. And <laughs> usually people 
I mean, it's sad to see summer go, but then there are so many different activities in the fall that we're pretty pumped. What do you like to do in the hunting, fall? Fishing are you a hunt? Do you like to hunt? Um, yeah, I grew up hunting with my dad. I didn't get to do it much when I was living in Orlando for 10 years, but um, do some duck hunting and deer hunting and then, you know, all of your fall activities. So making fires and, and still getting some fishing in and all that fun stuff. Right on. You grew up in Minnesota and started, is your, is your dad the one that got you into the outdoors? You know, it's funny. Um, yeah, so I grew up with my dad in a super small town, Spicer, Minnesota, thousand people. And um, he was an outdoorsman, avid, you know, hunter. He didn't really do much fishing, um, but super into hunting. But he never really like pushed me to do that. I kind of got into it myself. I was like, hey, I'm thinking about getting, you know, gun safety. I'd really like to start hunting. And he's like, okay. <laughs> so in high school, you know, I'd, I'd go hunting with my high school buddies, you know, show up to school in camo and then change into like a pink, really girly outfit after I got to school. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would, I would deer hunt and duck hunt a little bit with my dad, but, um, then I was super big into ice fishing too, which was more just like friends were into that. So, well, ice fishing, a lot of fun. ice fishing can also be code for drinking beer, right? Like, is that is that and playing uh, cards? Yeah, drinking yeah. beer and playing cards. I mean, that's kind of like uh we we have some things that are code for that too, but um it, <laughs> I would think that ice fishing like that's something that I've never really gotten into that much because I, I don't know. I find it well, the reason that I ended up in the Florida Keys was because I tried to spend a winter in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and it was too cold, so I went as far south as you could possibly go. So I don't know if I'm really cut out for ice fishing, but I I do I do like the idea when <laughs> when my friends up there, Mark Zona, I think was telling me about uh fishing the hard water versus fishing the soft water. And I thought, oh, I think I think I know what he's talking about. That's ice. Like that's all winter long. It's like that. But the ice fishing can be really good. Like you get out on the snow machine and you go and and uh, find the spots and, and you can have some yep. really good fishing in the, in the middle of the winter. So one of the things that I found interesting about your story right away was that, that you turn out to be a professional wakeboarder from Minnesota, which it seems like that would be a, a super fleeting moment too. The, the time of the year where you would be able to wakeboard in Minnesota uh, would seem to be a very small window. So how did that happen for you where you where you kind of got the interest in wakeboarding and then actually made that into something that that you did for a, a lot of time? It's that's kind of everyone's first question, <laughs> like Minnesota and water sports like that just doesn't make sense to me. Summer so short. But um, my answer is kind of that's actually why I was so passionate about water sports. People here in Minnesota, because the season is only three months long. You are on the water every moment that you possibly can be. I mean, we have 12,000 lakes, lake life, the culture is a huge thing here. So any minute that you can be out there, you're taking advantage of it. I mean, when I first moved to Florida and moved to a lake in Orlando, it would be glass calm and beautiful. And I'm like, no one's on the lake. Right. <laughs> like, this is so bizarre to me. Like, this is the weirdest thing. It's the middle of the day and no one's out here and it's glass. And it's like, well, everyone's like, well, it'll be this way tomorrow yeah. or maybe next week or whatever. Here it's like, you're out. I mean, tubers are out at 6am, you know, until the sun goes down, everyone's out there. So I think 
that short season actually really contributed to my passion for water sports and my love for water sports. But you're right. I only had three months to train when I was living here. So it was like, you spend a month getting back in shape at the beginning of the season, right. and then you only have two months to learn new stuff. So that was why I made the decision to move down to Orlando when I was 17, so um, just so I could wait for year round. At 17. Wow. That's, were you still in school? Like you were still in high school or what? Um, I graduated high school early. Okay. So I'm in this small town high school and I was like, walked into my principal's office and was like, I want to graduate early. And he's like, no one's ever done that. How, what, how does that work? I'm like, I don't know, but we're going to figure it out. And uh, so we did and ended up graduating high school a semester early and then just getting in the car and driving down. And so what, tell me about that decision. I mean, that seems like, that seems like a place in your life where, where, you know, you're making major changes. Like, were, what, were your parents like a part of that decision or did you just decide that this is something that you're doing? Yeah. So I kind of just told them what I was going to do. <laughs> um, my dad's kind of always been the person where he's like, fine, but you have to figure it out. Like, sure, go for it. But like, good luck. Um, a big part of that move was my sister. So I have an older sister who's nine years older than me. She was 26 at the time. And she was living in Minnesota, but she's like, I wouldn't mind moving to Orlando. So she and I made that trip together. And she was a big part of why I was able to do that. Um, we still couch surfed and didn't really know anyone or what we were doing when we moved down there. But um, obviously having her there made it a completely different and easier, much easier experience. Yeah. So was she is into the water sports or did she just want to thaw out a little bit? Yeah, she is. I mean, she came home one summer and that's when I was introduced to wakeboarding. Her and her college buddies um, started wakeboarding. And that's when I was like, whoa, what is this? What is this thing? You know, because I was a gymnast and I was kind of a tomboy and I loved water sports. So wakeboarding was like every, all of that in one. Um, and so, yeah, she and I wakeboarded together um, a lot and kind of pushed each other. And then when we moved down to Orlando, she wasn't really pursuing it competitively uh, like I was. But a week after we moved to Orlando, she tore her ACL oh, while no. we were one week, seven days after we moved to Orlando, she tore her ACL wakeboarding. So that was the end of it for her. Wow. Um, but she was, yeah, she definitely, she and I were into it together. Yeah. So up. that's, man, you're a week into your new life and, and your sister tears her ACL and she's how many years older than you? Nine. Okay. Well, I mean, she's, she's a full on adult, but you're, you're 17. Yeah. Like that seems yeah. like that's, I don't know. I mean, I have a 17 year old daughter that I can't even imagine her, um, living off on her own and then dealing with something like that. But, but you dealt with lots of other things in your life that probably gave you uh, a lot of maturity and a different perspective as well. Right. Correct. Yeah, definitely. So um, you know, a year and a half before I moved to Orlando, I was diagnosed with leukemia. And um, so at 16, you know, going into my junior year of, of school, I uh, was diagnosed with that and was very, very sick. And the prognosis was really unknown. So I started, um, I was supposed to have a bone marrow transplant. That was the only treatment option at the time, which was very dangerous and not necessarily that successful always. Um, but I had one doctor that I really liked and he suggested I try this um, experimental drug 
that was brand new at the time, but he thought maybe that would just buy me some time mm. at least um, if it worked. And I started that medication and um, it worked in controlling the level of cancer wow. in my blood. And I actually still continue to take that medication 14 years later. Um, but at the time it was like, we don't know if this is going to work. If it does work, we don't know how long it'll work for. Um, it was just all these unknowns. Yeah. Um, so that, that definitely, I mean, definitely gave me the perspective and I was on my own a lot growing up as a kid with my dad. So, you know, I had some maturity, but a lot of maturity just, it takes time, right? Like, yeah. even if you've been through a lot, like you just learn from living. So, right. you know, only being on the earth for 17 years, there were obviously so many things that I didn't know, but I definitely had the perspective and kind of that maturity from the leukemia experience. Huh. What was that drug called? It's called Gleevec. Okay. And so um, what is that? I mean, did you have like, I don't know, I have a similar kind of experience with my son that he, he did kind of an experimental procedure on his eyes and there was like this moment in time where we were being told by some people, no, do not do this. It's going to be a terrible idea. You're you don't, mm-hmm. don't do this. And then mm-hmm. other people that are saying, well, what do you, what do you have to lose? I mean, it was kind of a situation like you, like a bone marrow transplant. That's serious yeah. business. Like, yes. So absolutely. what, what was that like to kind of, just kind of analyze those two different choices? And, and it was take a pick of one of them. Yeah, it was really interesting um, because, like I said, this one doctor was the only person who even mentioned this drug. I was very lucky that he knew of it at the time. Um, I had multiple other doctors say, "You need a bone marrow transplant, or you're going to die." Like looking me in the eyes, saying this. Um, one thing that I had on my side was both of my parents are pharmacists. Okay. So they're very knowledgeable when it comes to drugs. (laughs) Um, So they were able to provide some insight. But at the end of the day, I mean, they let me make the decision, you know, would you like to try this? And it was similar to the situation that you talked about. It was like, well, what do we have to lose? You know, Um, let's try this drug. And, And granted, there was a timeline because you can only have a bone marrow transplant if you're so healthy. So, you know, I couldn't have waited very long to make the decision, but I did have enough time to at least try this other medication. But then after trying it, I got so sick from the meds that they thought the meds were going to kill me. Um, so that was a really interesting, we were this close to taking me off the drug, Really, like a day, like in 24 hours. And I started feeling better the next day. It was very, very serendipitous, very interesting. I actually, there's a girl who's, I found out about her story on the news. She grew up 40 minutes from me. We were diagnosed. We were both 16. We were diagnosed at the exact same time. Um, it, which is very, it, I have a very rare disease. It's uh, mostly affects people over the age of 65. It's very rare for an adolescent to have this kind of cancer. So she started the drug that I take. And because her side effects got so bad, they pulled her off and she did a bone marrow transplant. Um, three sport athlete was never able to do sports again because the radiation destroyed her bones. Um, and I was able to speak with her and, um, a couple of years ago and I said, you know, did anyone just suggest that maybe those side effects would go away eventually? And she's like, no. So really it was like, you know, it's just having those people in my life, that doctor, um, you know, my parents, 
that type of thing, I'm able to make it past that point um, where the side effects, you know, lessened a little bit and uh, was able to stand that drug. But so many things could have sent me down a different path. Wow. So as, as pharmacists, both of your parents are pharmacists. What, what does a pharmacist say? I mean, I guess, I guess, you know, thinking about it now, even for just a second, a pharmacist would see lots of experimental drugs that are very successful. And then they would see lots of experimental drugs that are, that are not. So, right. I mean, I guess, is that where they were of like, you need to make this decision because here are the risks and here are the rewards that you could possibly face. Is that kind of how that went down? Yeah. I mean, there wasn't a lot of time to like have like those really long discussions about it. I had such chemistry with this doctor um, that I really trusted him <laughs> yeah. a lot um, and much more than these other... One of the other doctors is now the president of the School of Medicine at the University of Minnesota. And I'm like, well, he didn't know about Gleevec. Right. <laughs> um, but, but I had such faith in this doctor and had such chemistry with him that I really trusted him. Obviously, you know, my parents' insight helped, but um, based off of what he told me, I felt really comfortable that the downside to trying this drug wasn't that great. I mean, you know, we had enough time to try it and see what happened. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, there were some really dark moments when I was really, really sick. I mean, I was spending some days I was too weak to um, hold my hairbrush up and brush my hair. Like I, I couldn't shower. I was sitting in the shower. I'd not get out of bed all day, you know, couldn't walk because of bone pain. There were certainly moments like when you have doubts because you feel like you're going to die or, you know, you're like very realistic. Like I might go to bed and not wake up tonight. Um, there were those moments where it's like, am I on the right medication? But um, I just had a lot of faith in this person. And so I just kind of stuck to it, like blinders on, let's go, like, let's, let's get through it. Let's nice. hunker down. So, um, yeah, it was really, I, I owed um, this person a lot. This doctor. Yeah. And so yeah. when you do start feeling a little bit better and you see some improvement and you see that this is mm -hmm. actually working, I mean, is that what the doctor's saying? Like, okay, I think, I think that we're making some progress or is it just the way that you're feeling or is they, are they looking at blood work and they're like, yes, this is yep. making a noticeable difference. Uh, yeah. So the drug was working extraordinarily well, like my, my blood cell count, um, when I was first it was 140,000 for whatever the unit is. And a week later it was at like 15 or 10. Wow. So part of the reason I was so sick is because my body was just literally destroying cancer. Wow. Like 97% of my blood was cancerous cells when I was diagnosed. And so that number was dropping rapidly, but, um, because I was so sick and quality of life was so poor that we didn't think it was going to be a realistic choice long-term to stay on this medication because my quality of life was awful, terrible, right. unlivable conditions. So that's where we like came to this point where it was, do we wait and see if these side effects subside or do we need to pull you off because, you know, right. You're dying from the side effects. Um, so that was, you know, we were obviously looking at the blood work and, and the, um, medicine side, but quality of life was a huge conversation, um, topic for us. Yeah. So, you know, that's, uh, God, that's gotta be some really difficult 
really difficult periods of of your life, your parents' life, the doctor's life. I mean, everybody kind of deciding to go down this road. But then, yeah. you know, obviously, you start making some really big recoveries because, I mean, you were just saying when we started this conversation that you, I mean, you're saying that this happened when you were 16 and that when mm-hmm. you were 17, you moved to Orlando. So that is like a, a 180 degrees from, from what we're talking about now. So how did, how did that happen? Like where you, where you started feeling so much better and then, you know, tell me about that. Yeah, it all, it happened really fast. So the period of time when I was extremely, extremely ill was like four months. Um, but then when I started to feel better, that snowballed, like that was a very fast process. Um, I was just talking to someone about this yesterday. I can still remember the moment I was sitting in class. Um, and I was like, I feel high right now. Like I feel high. I'm confused. You know, I didn't smoke weed. And I was like, I feel high. And then I realized it was the first time in six months or more that I hadn't felt pain. Nice. And so I, like, I distinctly remember this moment where it's like, I feel good. And I remember the feeling I was a gymnast. I was a strong, um, young lady. But then when I got sick, I, and was laying in bed for 20 hours a day, just lost so much weight, muscle tone. So I remember the feeling of like, I feel strong. Mm. Like I, I could feel like being strong again. And that was like, I was a pretty like stubborn, fiery young, (laughs) young lady. So like that strength, just like fired me up. And basically, you know, having this prognosis of, well, I don't know how long this is, this medication is going to work for, because we don't, we still don't know how long it'll work. It hasn't been around for that long. So it was like, I'm moving to Orlando, going to wakeboard. Don't know what's going to happen after that, but that's just what I'm going to do. And, um, when you're kind of the cancer girl, people can't really say no to you. (laughs) So (laughs) that's where I kind of just told everyone what I was going to (laughs) do. And then was lucky enough that my sister was like super into it as well. Um, so So, yeah, it was the wakeboarding really interesting time. Yeah. Like it seems like, I don't know. I've talked to so many different people on this podcast and, and there's this there's this moment in their life where they make this decision and they're drawn to something. Like I mentioned in our pre-interview, we were talking about Jessica Dixie Mills, which is somebody that I've had a, a couple of podcasts with. And she decided after she had gotten a degree in engineering and was working in an oil field in Oklahoma that she was, she didn't like this. She was going to quit her job and she was drawn to the Appalachian trail. And then she, mm-hmm. she hiked the Appalachian trail and then went on to hike uh, the other big trails, Continental Divide and the Pacific Crest Trail. But it's interesting that it was almost to her, it was so clear. Like she didn't even know why, like, you don't know why it was exactly the Appalachian Trail. And it went back to something she had seen in her childhood that her grandmother had walked her up to this sign. And, and she was like, what is the Appalachian Trail? And she's like, well, you could walk all the way to Maine if you got on there. And she's no way know, for, for like her whole life. She was thinking about that, I guess, like even yeah. subconsciously, like, Oh, and so that's that's where she went. So like you, all of a sudden you you decide I'm going to Orlando and I'm going to go wakeboarding. I mean, was that just like your your the most perfect memory for you? And that's just like this is what I'm going to do. Had you been thinking about that or? 
Yeah. I mean, I had before being diagnosed had wanted to do this. I had wanted to go to Orlando. I'd wanted to pursue this. Um, and then, you know, the, the leukemia diagnosis was just kind of the catalyst to like getting everyone else on board for me to do it. (laughs) Um, or like really pulling the trigger because I think without that, um, I don't, I mean, I think I would have had the courage to do it, but it would have been more difficult. Um, there were still many moments after that where I doubted what I was doing because I come from, and my dad is a, he's a very traditional guy. So if you don't have health insurance or a 401k, like you will cease to exist. Like, that's what I thought, you know, like if I didn't have a nine to five, I was not even going to exist anymore. And so it took a long time, um, where I was like going for it and wakeboarding, but also like going to school and getting a finance degree. Cause I was, you know, scared of really going all in on wakeboarding. My first contest, um, I was like, saw how good all the other girls were and how they'd been competing their whole lives. So I was, there were times for sure where I was filled with doubt <laughs> and it really held me back. Um, it wasn't really, and at one point I just quit wakeboarding when I was like 19, like living in Orlando, but I just quit doing it. Cause I was like, I'm not good enough. I, you know, this just isn't realistic. And I had a conversation with one of my mentors. He was the editor of wakeboarding magazine at the time. And, um, and a good friend. And he said, well, you know, you don't have to be the best to be a pro wakeboarder. Right. Mm. I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> Go on. And he was just like, well, you know, it's, this is a lifestyle sport. This is people want to sponsor people who are good um, advocates. And, and, you know, I was still good at wakeboarding, but I wasn't the best. And so that conversation really was like, oh, oh, like just wakeboard my way and do this my way. And there's still value in that. So I went through many different phases of like this doubt, you know, am I wasting my time? Am I doing the right thing? I still love the sport, but what am I really doing before I kind of found my space in the, in the industry? And that's when I started sharing my cancer story. No one knew that I had cancer up until years after I moved to Orlando. But that's when I started sharing that and really, you know, seeing the effect that that had on other people and, you know, use that to raise money for charities and tie that into everything and kind of created this platform that wasn't just, yeah, I'm a competitive wakeboarder who's trying to win contests. It was, it was bigger than that. Yeah. So, um, like everyone or like many people, I should say it wasn't, it wasn't linear. Yeah. It wasn't, I moved to Orlando when I was 17 and then rode off into the sunset. Um, you know, a lot of struggles, inner, inner struggles through that time, but, um, learned so much, yeah. you know? Well, it sounds like, it sounds like there are a couple of key moments there, like, like that conversation where you decide that not only can you do wakeboarding your way, but it sounds like maybe that's something that you kind of go back to even today of maybe you can live your life your way, that you can do these other things your way. How does that, totally. do you think about that conversation still today and, and, and apply it to the rest of your life? Yeah, I do. And I think, um, you know, that conversation, it changed my wakeboarding career, but it definitely has just, open my eyes to the fact that you don't have to be the spitting image of someone else who has done your thing. So like me working in TV, um, you know, I don't have to be the bright blonde, perfect, lots of makeup. Like I'm, 
I showed up for all of my, like when I first wanted to get into TV, I showed up as me wholeheartedly, hundred percent myself because I was like, I can't act. So if I, if I start <laughs> acting now, this is going to be a really long career, a really long job. So I just showed up as myself and it was amazing to hear the feedback that people really knew. Like we like you because you're authentic. It's That's very right. clear that you are being yourself. And so I certainly apply that thinking to everything else that I do. Like you don't have to do it the same way as someone else has done it before. Um, you can obviously learn from them and what they've done and, and use that to help you on your career journey, but you don't have to do it the same way. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah. That's uh that's super cool. So why did you gravitate to TV? You know, growing up, I had always thought about being a sports broadcaster. Like that was when I found out, like I wasn't going to be the next Randy Moss because I was in five, three. Um, <laughs> and then I was like, well, what's the next best thing? Kind of like sports broadcasting, but being from this small town, I was like, well, I mean, me, I can't, I'm not going to never be on TV, you know, like, even though I was like, I'm going to go be a professional wakeboarder, like being a sports broadcaster was just like, yeah, right. That won't happen. Well, then like through my wakeboarding career, I got a number of opportunities in television that just kind of fell into my lap. So I was on an MTV series, a 12 episode MTV series. What was that I one? did some stuff for Travel Channel. What was that was MTV? called Wake Brothers. Okay. So it was like, a, it, was, it had wakeboarding as a part of it, right? Yes. Yeah. It was centered around um, Bob and Phil Sovin. And I was dating Bob at the time. So ended up being a character on the show. Um, and that was kind of my first TV experience. And then did stuff for Travel Channel. It was in a couple like TV commercials. Um, was in like the opening scene of a movie. And so just had a number of things that kind of fell into my lap um, that I hadn't been pursuing. And then when I was ready to transition out of wakeboarding, um, it was, I struggled really hard again. Um, but I was like, if I don't go all in on TV right now and go for it, I'll regret it for the rest of my life, 100%. Um, and if I'm going to do this, I have to just go all in. Like I can't have one foot in, one foot out. And, um, that was just a really interesting time. And to see my hard work pay off then like getting all these TV gigs, it was just really fulfilling. Like I took this risk and was very nervous about it and it worked. It's nice. just an awesome feeling. So what is going all in on the TV look like? At that, at that point in your life, you know, like everybody's got these, these points where they, they, they can kind of, I guess at this, maybe it was like, you could kind of keep the wakeboarding thing going. Did you have to quit that? Is that what all in looked like or? Yeah, it will. It was like, I wasn't really making any money from wakeboarding anymore. It's hard as a female to make money wakeboarding. There are a couple of girls who are getting by. Um, so at that time it was like, I was working other jobs to pay the bills and it was to go all in on TV, it was just, okay, I need to stop everything that I'm doing. Just absolutely blitz this industry um, and really focus wholeheartedly, like not get distracted by all these other things that I probably should be doing, you know, to pay the bills. <laughs> it was just, and, and like admitting to people, I think one of the hardest things was like admitting to people that I was going to try this TV thing, like and not being insecure about that. So I think going all in, it was like, no, no, no. Like you have to tell yourself and everyone else, like, this is what you're going for. You know, don't try to hide it. Don't try to like halfway do it. If I get a job, then people will 
believe me, you know, that type of thing. It was like really being honest with myself and being mature enough to say, I'm going to try this. And if I fail, okay. You know, that's a, at least that's I a big thing. You know, you, you hear it's, it's written in billions of books about, you know, how to accomplish any goal is one of the big things is you tell people that that's what you're going to do. And now you're like, now you're in, <laughs> you right. just told yeah, everybody you're <laughs> what you're going to do. This is yeah. now you have to do it. And that can be a really big motivator for some people. And for other people, it's not as big a motivator, but it sounds like that was a pretty big motivator for you to like, to tell people, but that's part of like, don't you think that that's like part of, of going for it in anything is like, you know, stopping the, the part-time jobs, stopping the wakeboarding, stopping, um, a lot of things and saying no to things can be as yes. big of a, of a, of a jump as saying yes to other things. Cause it's easy to like say yes to a little audition here or there and, and keep doing everything else. But it's like mm -hmm. that time when you, when you just decide I'm not doing any more, no more of that. That's it's hard. Yeah, it is. It's, it's hard to give those things up. And it's, I mean, cause it's just, it's risky, right? Like you, you use those as kind of a safety net, but if you're doing that, you're always distracted or you're always making an excuse like, well, I got to work this other job. So I can't do this. Like, you know, it's removing all of that. It's kind of like baggage, right? Like re remove the safety net and jump in. Like that's the only way it's going to happen. Or that's like the only way it was going to happen for me. Um, and so that was difficult, but also just awesome, like a very freeing feeling. And then being like, well, if I'm going to give this a shot, I'm going to give it my best shot yeah. versus like a half-ass shot. Yeah. Yeah. Is that what you did with the, with the wakeboarding? Did you, did you um, have a, have a, have a decision like that in wakeboarding? I think my wakeboarding career was always kind of, I was always also doing something else on the side. Yeah. And like, by the time I kind of figured out this mindset that I needed to be in, it was too late. Um, and so it's, it's kind of disappointing thinking about what could have been with my wakeboarding career, but having been able to learn that through wakeboarding, knowing I always knew I wasn't going to wakeboard forever. Like that was never a goal. That's just not realistic. Like having been able to learn that and now apply that to my passion working in television and, um, you know, going for that, it was worth it. Nice. Um, worth learning that lesson. So what are the first couple of, uh, of kind of breaks that you get that give you the idea that, that this is possible? Like what, what you're envisioning is of, sure. of a career in television that this could actually work. Like, so it was pretty like right away, a couple really big things. So I threw together a demo reel. I went out, like I put all my experience in a reel, but then I went out and did some like fake news broadcasts, like just faked <laughs> it and stories, like went to a coffee shop and like, you know, pretend I was on a travel show and, and did some stuff like that. And I send that out into the world. I reach out, I email every news person. I didn't want to work in news, but those were the people that I knew were in television. So it's out to everyone, people in Florida, people here in Minnesota, you know, people that I didn't know, anyone that I knew that worked in TV. Um, I sent it out and I made a couple of really cool connections. So one of the, the newscasters here in Minnesota, um, he has like a lifestyle piece that he does every Sunday, a really cool Minnesota lifestyle piece. And I went and met with him and he's like, look, we don't have any opportunities here, but I feel like you should go talk to my friends at Ron Shera Productions. They're an oh, yeah. outdoors oh, I know productions company. 
Well, I don't know Ron yeah, Taylor so that I well, went, but I know his production. <laughs> yep. So I went and I had met up with them and they're like, Hey, we don't have any shows for you right now, but we'll keep you on the radar. You know, I was like, sweet. Great. Did you meet his dog um, Raven? Didn't he, didn't he used to do that show Ron and Raven? Yeah. Raven just passed away. Oh, that's too bad. Um, I know it was a big deal, but, um, I, I did get to meet Raven, nice. um, which was pretty cool. Um, so I had a conversation with them at the same time. I end up, I have this Instagram follower who kind of always pops up and he's always like making videos and stuff. He's from Minnesota and I had reached out to him. Hey, I know I don't really know you, but I know you make videos. Could you put together a demo reel for me? He's like, well, Oh, I didn't know that you wanted to work in TV. And I was like, yeah, you know, I, I really am trying to get into it. He's like, Oh, I'm the digital content producer for the Timberwolves and my best friend's the digital content producer for the Minnesota Vikings. And I was like, nice. Oh, and he's like, I think the Vikings are looking for a female personality. I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> so then I package up my demo reel and I send it off to him. And in the same week, so then like months pass in the same week, I get a call from Ron Share Productions and I get a call from the Minnesota Vikings, both saying, Hey, we have part time gigs. Would you ever? consider moving back to Minnesota. And when the Vikings call, you pick up the <laughs> phone, uh, you answer. And so it was kind of just this no brainer. Like I never thought that I would move back to Minnesota, but it's sure an easy move when you're starting a new career and trying something out, like what an easy transition. So I moved back and I um, worked, um, started working for the Vikings. Then I started hosting shows for Ron Shara and I host two shows for them. Um, so it was like, there wasn't much time to like doubt myself. Um, but there were certainly people that I reached out to that weren't very nice. You know, I reached out to like editors of newspapers. Hey, can I write for you? You know, really just everyone that I could possibly think of. And so there were people who like tried making me feel stupid, but I just like had to keep going. Like I, I knew that I was going to have to throw mud, you know, like put all the irons in the fire and most of them, you know, weren't going to come out, but it's just the one that does. So, um, it happened again, very serendipitous that they both, both of these groups called in the same week, but, um, yeah, pretty awesome. I wonder it, you know, sometimes when I think about that, like serendipitous, is it, or is it that, is it that you kind of went for it and then it takes a certain amount of time for stuff to develop? Like you started, you started sending all this stuff out and it, it just kind of takes some time for things to develop. And yeah, maybe it happened in the same week, but had you not made that decision to really go for it and send your reel to everybody you could possibly think of, neither one of those things would have really happened, you know? So it's no, absolutely not. but it's kind of, it's kind of like you made it happen too. I mean, you right. Did. I mean, I don't feel lucky because trust me, I would was working my butt off, like, you know, reaching out to people, but it was just, it was really ironic and unique that they, you know, they both happened at the same time, but you're right. The conversation that I had at Ron Chair Productions was a, at least a full year prior to them calling me and saying, Hey, remember us? Um, and I wouldn't have met them had I not reached out to the random newscaster who then was like, Hey, you should go talk to my friends over at Ron Chair. Like, Ron Chair Productions wouldn't even know who I was, nor would the Minnesota Vikings. You know, I was living in Orlando. So it took a lot of being uncomfortable and reaching out to people for advice and not really knowing what I'm talking about, but being willing to learn. Yeah. I was just like, hey, can I just learn from you then? Like, 
you might not have a job for me, but I'm new to this and I'm not pretending to know everything about it. So it was like really just being fully open and honest and being willing to like soak up knowledge, even if that's the only thing someone has to offer me, um, all of those things. So it's a lot of hard work, but, uh, like I'm really grateful for the opportunities that I got kind of right off the bat. So with Ron Shara, you're, you're now hosting two shows for, for them or him. Yep. One, um, uh, made for the outdoors that airs on Fox Sports uh, North and Wisconsin and also nationwide on the Sportsman Channel. That's a fun one. We go and we show how outdoor products are made. Yeah. So whether we're building a pontoon or a revolver or um, fishing lure, we I get to go in there. I get to get my hands dirty. I weld. I, you know, <laughs> do whatever they'll let me do, <laughs> basically. Um, so that one's really fun. And then the other show is called Destination Polaris. Um, we travel the world and we ride Polaris side-by-side vehicles and explore different parts, uh, mostly, you know, in the United States, but different parts of the world and, uh, showcase these machines and also the cool people that we meet along the way. That's so awesome. That's a lot of fun. So the, uh, the, how it's made seems like that is a, is a perfect, um, kind of a perfect recipe to continue through the COVID situation that we find ourselves in, like that seems like you could continue that. The traveling around the world and riding side-by-sides, that seems like that one might experience some hiccups or challenges. Is that kind of where you are now or what's going on with that? Well, they both, they were both completely on hold for at least three oh, months, really? which was a big stress for us because we were halfway, we turned stuff around pretty fast. Um, we were halfway through both seasons and we didn't have new content episodes 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 weren't filmed yet. So we had to get really creative with how we did some of that stuff. Um, We are back to filming both of those shows now uh, and being able to travel for those. We take many, many precautions to keep ourselves safe and and the people that we work with. But it was a challenging time. It was still challenging because now we're like, go, 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 the COVID catch-up game. Right. Um, But it was a really challenging time just for, you know, like anyone, just the unknown of when are we going to get back to work? Are we going back to work? Yeah. Are we making television again? You know, but I am lucky where it's like people are consuming more television than they ever have. And there are no sports. So I'm getting all this airtime on Fox sports (laughs) or was before all the sports came back. Right. Um, so it was like a blessing and a curse. Like we're getting great numbers here, but we need to make more content. Um, so it was, uh, it was a challenge. Like it was I'm sure for everyone, but uh, we're kind of back up and running now. Yeah, that's cool. And so um, on on that one, the how it's made. Will you just go anywhere that that? I mean, like I've always liked that show, How It's Made, which is mm-hmm. like I don't know. You might see, you could see anything being made. And then I watched your 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 trailer of your show, or actually a few episodes of the of the show, and it's like all about the yeah. outdoor gear, which I thought was even even cooler because. You know, the, how does a snow ski, how is a snow ski made or, uh, or, a, right. well, you know, whatever. And it's kind of cool. Um, but I just wondered if it was like, if you pick people that are in a certain area of the country or, or that is it is, anywhere. It, it's nationwide and we try to mix it up. You know, we want to show a variety of products, all things that tie into the outdoors somehow, but we want to show different stuff. It, it's like the show you mentioned, how it's made. I mean, it could be a bowling ball, but you're like, right. yeah, I never really knew how a bowling ball was made. That's interesting. 
One of the fun things about that show, though, is we really tell the story of the people behind the products as well. So the companies, the people who are working in a factory who've been punching a hole, you know, Charlie back there has been drilling this hole for 35 years. Like this is what he does every day. He he's the, the best at on the it, machine by the way, and, too. You know, he's the best, but he <laughs> never gets, this is his moment like to share his story and right. show his personality. So it's fun to go in there and meet these people who aren't trying to be on television, but like really sharing the story of the people behind the products as well. So um, we do, we do a variety of products all over the country. Um, as long as it's got some connection to the outdoors, we'll be interested. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So do you have any other things kind of uh, cooking or do you, or are you happy where you are or what's going on? I'm on air um, at the CW Twin Cities as well. Um, we've got a crew of three hosts, me and two gentlemen here who um, do all kinds of stuff. So we have a variety show Saturdays at 5 p.m. on the CW Twin Cities where we get to interview or go do whatever we want across the state, which is really fun. Um, right now, I'm not doing anything with the Vikings for obvious reasons. Um, COVID has, they're running a very, very tight ship in the NFL. Um, so not doing anything with them would love to, uh, get back on that next season. Hopefully if things return to normal. Um, but other than that, just like, you know, busy with all kinds of random stuff. I'm working with a hat company called Melon. Um, I'm about to create my own signature hat line, which I'm really stoked on because I love hats yeah. and they're a really cool company. Um, so I'm excited about that and just, and working with a couple really other, you know, cool groups, Steady MD. I work with them. They're a teledoctor oh, yeah. uh, platform, which like I'm all about healthcare. I deal with that stuff every day and this is definitely the future and they're really, really cool to work with. I love using their products. So, you know, just trying to continue to work with, brands that I believe in and, uh, make good TV. That's awesome. Well, yeah. you have such a, you have such a, uh, a good kind of sunny disposition, like a, a good, happy personality. And I wanted to ask you, and it comes through in your television work. Like when I watched your, your reel, I mean, you're like, you just, you're just having a good time and you're doing it yeah. and you're doing it in an authentic way. And I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of people are kind of gravitating to you is that what you're doing is not it's not an act. It's not something that, that, um, you know, can they count on you showing up like this tomorrow or is this kind of like an act? Like, right. and then, and then if you, if you see through it, you're kind of like, yeah, well, this is her, this is her. And then when you learn more about your story, kind of like one of the things that I was wondering and I wanted to ask you about is it, it seems pretty obvious, but it seems like this this darkest moment of your life of cancer has had a, had an effect on your life that like that, that causes you to be so sunny and, and, and happy. And like, it just seems like you're just a really grateful person and, and you're living life in, in a state of gratitude. And I just wonder how that period affected that, or if that's something that you think sure. about this far away from that. I mean, how many years has it been mm -hmm. since, since 14. You were, so it's been 14 years since you were diagnosed. And is that something that you think about on a daily basis or what? Well, so because technically I am still living with leukemia. So this drug that I take um, is an oral chemotherapy pill and I take that every day. So which, and it comes with many side effects. So I am forced to think about my cancer, whether I like it or not every day, because I take the medication, I feel the effects of the drug. Um, but 
this question is interesting because I get it all the time. Did cancer change your perspective on life? And the honest answer, I mean, of course it has a huge effect on my life and I'm, I'm grateful for that experience. And I am filled with more, even more gratitude now, but I was a really grateful, happy, love to have fun kid too. I'd been through a lot of, you know, hard experiences with the parents divorce and, and some stuff like that as a very young child. And I think those other experiences really set me up for success with the cancer. Like I think, I think my perspective was set before I was diagnosed with leukemia. And so leukemia was just a part of the journey. Um, certainly, you know, going through something as, as deep as, okay, not sure if I'm going to wake up tomorrow. That's a heavy experience that will change you for sure. Yeah. Feeling those, going to a place that you didn't know existed kind of um, in your mind and your body and in your heart. But I really like, I've just always loved to have fun. Like a kid, like you name it. If we got to do it, I mean, if I've got to clean a porta potty on a hot summer day, I'm going to have fun doing it. You know, like, well, we got to do it anyways. So might as well have fun with it. Um, I've just always really enjoyed life, like really, really enjoyed life and enjoyed living and, and, and grateful for the people and the experiences and the memories. Yeah. What kind of advice would you give somebody that hasn't had that, that type of experience? Like their life's been perfect up to, you know, and, and, you know, what, what, I mean, what kind of advice do you, do you even, I mean, not like people like that are asking you for advice, but Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of wondering what your perspective is on that. Yeah, it's interesting because there's a lot of, you know, research being done. Like, do you have to have that dark time in order to have the other, the opposite, like is that gratitude, really? that perspective? I haven't, I haven't heard yeah, about there is. that and, um, I'll send you some stuff. I'd like um, to read my that. friend Al, yeah, my friend Al just sent me some stuff on it. Um, I think the biggest thing is keeping yourself in check. It's, it's being honest with yourself and also, you know, having gratitude for those things in your life, having gratitude for the things that are going right. Um, it's all perspective. So it's like, I get carried away sometimes and I am reminded every day, like I'm humbled every day by taking this pill and like, mm, you still have cancer, you know, like you still have to deal with the side effects of this medication. You're still a human. You still, you know, things, the future is still unknown. So it's like really staying humble. I think that's, no matter what happens in your life, staying humble and being grateful. I think that's the biggest thing, no matter what you've been through previous. Nice. I like it. That's a, that's a good perspective. I, uh, there's this one little phrase that, that I come back to quite often that has been a big, um, a big part of my life and it's weakness is strength. So whatever you perceive as your greatest weakness or whatever you, um, whatever is your greatest weakness or was once your greatest weakness at some point in your life, it will turn into your greatest strength. So if that is, if that is, uh, you know, maybe it's your cancer or maybe it is inexperience like that, you feel like you can't do something because you have no experience. Well, Mm -hmm. in in my experience, in my, in my experience, uh, that's (laughs) kind of funny to say that, um, in my experience that eventually if you work hard enough at it, you come at something with a different perspective and because you yes. have no experience with it, yes. you're trying things that other people wouldn't try or trying them in a different way. And you're doing things 
differently than if you if you were strong in that area. And then that becomes your greatest strength. Um, has, has that been a, a theme? It seems like that's kind of been a theme in your life as I explain it like that too. Yeah, for me, um, I always kind of say your weakness or your thing, whatever you think is holding you back, it'll either become your excuse or your reason. Nice. Like you are the only one who makes that an obstacle in your life. But if you use it as an excuse, it'll certainly hold you back. But if that becomes your reason, then you have this extra power. Like you have a superpower. You have, you know, a reason to push even harder than everyone else. Um, but I really like what you just said. I spoke to um, this professional skimboarder. Her name's Amber Torialba. I was having a conversation with her a couple weeks ago. And she came from a low-income family and just not many things going for her. And she looks at all these things as just, you know, I didn't have, my parents didn't have money. They didn't have money to get me training or to do this or do that. But that gave me a different perspective, yes. which was valuable. Yeah. So it's just like what you're saying is whatever your weakness is, that gives you a different perspective than anyone else out there or any, you know, you have this extra perspective. And I thought that was so such a cool way to look at all these things that were like, well, I can't because X or, you know, I had a, I had a less chance of, of success because of this. Like, well, actually you had a different perspective than everyone else. So you like you, you that is actually your strength. Right. You so may have had saying. a greater chance because of that. You, you know, yeah, exactly. But, but you may have, have, have had an advantage. Yeah, yeah. You have to yeah. stick with it. It certainly, believe me, it does not seem like an advantage at the time. But 10 years later, right. you're like, well, that was the biggest advantage that I ever had. Like, for, first of all, I think it's cool yeah. as it can be that there is such a thing as a professional skimboarder. Like, that to make that happen <laughs> at all is super cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that, I mean, and I'm sure that mm -hmm. that's probably a bigger industry that even than, than fishing. And I'm a professional fisherman of sorts, but uh, you know, you probably get paid more to be a professional skimboarder, but I think it's super cool that she was able to make that happen. <laughs> but like if she didn't have any training and if she didn't have any, uh, 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 you know, the best board or whatever. So she goes with what she has yep. and she probably comes up with tricks that yep. nobody else thought of because that's not what they're teaching. Totally. You, you know, and, and it's cool. Like, even if you look at like chess, like, uh, uh, Waitzkin, uh, Josh Waitzkin, he was like the chess prodigy. Well, he learned how to play chess, like on the streets, like he went to the park and learned how to play yep. chess in the park and it is not at all like what they're teaching you in these and, and and he's playing with these these guys that are formally trained and they do all the things just the way that you're supposed to but he comes at it with this whole other with his angle own. yeah yeah and he becomes really great at it but um that's awesome i love that and uh i think yeah, that um you know your perspective on everything is 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 probably even more important than your skills at doing whatever that is. And the skill will come if, for sure. but if, if you can, if you can get through those times when, when it seems like you have all these disadvantages, those disadvantages will turn out to be your strength. But most people don't, most people, most people use that just like you say, is that's your, that's your excuse or what did you say? It's your reason or it's yeah. Your... Well, it's, it's either your, our weaknesses or our, our downfalls are either our 
excuse or it's a reason to push you. Yes. And so like I always say, I mean, I have the best excuse to get out of anything (laughs) ever. If I don't want to go to work, if I didn't want to go to school, if I don't want to clean the house, I'm like, well, I have cancer. So can't do it. But I know that the minute I start using that as an excuse, that's when cancer holds me back. That's when cancer defines who I am. That is, you know, when it becomes my excuse. And so not making those excuses and actually saying, well, this has fired me up even more. You know, this has pushed me even harder because I have cancer. That's when it's like, no, that's, it's my strength. Nice. I love it. I think we're going to stop right there. That's, I don't know how we could do better than that. That's, it's fantastic. And you have just such a, such a cool story and, and, uh, I just wish you all the, all the very best and I'll look forward to, to seeing you on, uh, on the different shows. And, uh, I'm sure that, that you'll go much further than that, but, uh, wow. tell, tell everybody, tell everyone how they can follow you, how they can support what you're doing and, uh, and get to know you better. Sure. So I'm on all the social media platforms, Instagram being the biggest for me. Um, my handle is at Alexa score. Um, same for Twitter and I'm on Facebook as well. You can head to my website, Alexa, um, and reach out Follow the journey, come along for the ride, the more, the merrier. Um, but I'm out there. Yeah. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, thank you very much for doing this. And uh, it was great to get to know you a little bit better. And we look forward to watching you take off and go even further. Well, thanks. I appreciate you having me on. All right. Thanks. All right. We'll see everybody next week with another great story. That was Alexa Score. Go follow her and check out everything that she's doing. And uh, we'll see you next week.